Hello, people out there in the interweb world. Infinite Spaghetti. Today, we have a sound designer, voiceover, Kennedy Phillips. I'll bring him on in a moment. This is gonna say graphic novel reviews, but I'm doing a book. Sorry, here we go. Reviews, not graphic novels. Sorry, that's next time. Queen of Hearts by Dahlia Schweitzer. I know I reviewed another one of her books, it's like a pile of her books that I'm going through. You can tell this one has been dog-eared. It's been tortured. I've gone through it. I've done my homework. Queen of Hearts takes place in L.A. Magic Castle. Those of you from L.A. are familiar with the Magic Castle. People outside of L.A. have no clue what it is. But it's basically Castle in Hollywood where they do magic and you can only get invited if you're like specially invited. It's not like an open to the public type thing. This is like a romantic novel. Lots of like sex stuff in it. A fun read. Takes you through magic and the magic castle. Heartbreak and lust and love. I recommend it. If you're familiar with this writer, she does a lot of these academia in film. The last one we reviewed is like Haunted Mansions. But this one, totally different. It's a narrative. It's a story. Check it out. Done with the book review. You got to eat your vegetables before you get your dessert, right? Oh, I got to do the show opener. This is Infinite Spaghetti, a guided tour of the cosplay and creative archives with your host, Ethan Minsker. Part of the Project Nerd Podcast Network. Let's bring in our special guest today. I hope everything's been going well with you. Now that we've gotten to the dessert portion of this section, I can tell you that I will rot the teeth out of your skull. How many times in your life have you been described as the dessert? Less than none. We need to get your bio for the people who may be watching and listening. Hi, uh, my name is Kennedy Phillips. I'm what you would call a sound designer, which is a fancy word for people that bang pots together for a living. Uh, you might know me from some of my productions that I've worked on for animated shows on YouTube, like Hasman Hotel, Hell of a Boss, Satina, Farfetched, which is coming up pretty soon, Tales of Planet Sima, and other productions with DreamWorks Television and the Jim Henson Company. I am also known as a purveyor and creator of audio dramas, which are basically audio-only radio shows that you can listen to uh, while you're driving to work and not get hit by a car because you're trying to watch YouTube on your on your phone while you're driving, you unbelievable psychopath, you. I am the creator of audio drama Magus Elgar, which is a fantasy comedy inspired by the works of Terry Pratchett, and today I will be talking to you about another show within the same universe called Clutch, a cobalt story. I'm interested in the fact that you call it a radio drama as opposed to, like, a podcast, and before... I get your answer in that. Like I used to listen to the like records of like audio dramas. Like I remember a kid, there was like a Star Trek record mm -hmm. play it and would tell you a story and give me the difference. When it comes to podcasts, it can be pretty interchangeable between like talk show and like single person narrated uh, adventure with like very light sound design or something. Usually with podcasts, they're 
a little bit more uh, Spartan in some of the productions that they're providing. Also, most people, when they think of podcasts, they think the true crime of the steak knife killer. They talk about a cold case from decades ago of a person who went to a pizzeria with a steak knife and the owner of the shop says, you don't cut a pizza with a steak knife. And that was the last thing he said before he passed away, regrettably, under mysterious circumstances. But no, with uh, Magus Elgar and all of the other shows that I make, I call it a audio drama or radio drama because it follows a lot of the tropes and tribulations of traditional shows of that quality in that there is full sound design, full score, and a full cast of characters that is on par with a theatrical experience. So you could listen to this in a movie theater and get like almost the same experience as you would watching a movie, with the exception of all the, the fancy 3D CGI graphics that they usually have on the screen with all the lights and flashy buttons. Are you ready for some rapid-fire questions from me? Absolutely. Are you writing this by yourself? I am not. Um, I am doing the lion's share of the writing. Premise was dreamed up by me, but I have two other writers who are assisting me on a couple of episodes, as well as helping keep my, my, my focus on where I'm trying to go with it, because I have a tendency to get very excited about uh, other ideas within the universe, and I have my writers to help me maintain focus a little bit on the adventure. So it, it is meant to be a very contained adventure. It's going to be six episodes, and I'm writing about four of them. Do you want to throw out the names of those two other writers? The other writers are Crystal Saavedra and uh, Sumi Woodside. Sumi Woodside has done a litany of webcomic writing and proofreading and is a uh, phenomenally talented literization as she would probably get an aneurysm upon me here upon hearing me describe her like that and uh, crystal savage is a good friend of mine who has been an aspiring writer for many years now and i i wanted to give her the opportunity to work on something where she could really showcase her stuff and she is wicked funny and very talented as well where are you filming from i feel like we're in your pantry closet or something as of right now we are actually in my office which is a very humble abode that i have zoomed in a little bit but you can see there's a little bit more space around me i am zoomed in just enough so that you don't see like the big honking microphone poking at my face behind me is scenic my recording booth and a curtain to uh do a little bit of sound absorption in the rest of the place. You do like voice, voice, voice acting, acting, but... Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Make sure that you get down to the big monster rook truck rally with the, the revenated grave digger. And or then you have somebody listening going in going Cooper. like, can you emphasize on the grave digger? You can see is my living room. Blue, say hi. Hi. And my co-host, Blue. And you're in New York or LA or where no, are you I'm located? No, I'm in, I, I'm in uh, closer to Los Angeles because that's where all my work is. Well, I'm in New York City in Union Square, just in case you wanted to know. We're doing this by coastal You're not doing all the voices. No, uh, I'm actually only doing like maybe one or two voices at most because I love doing voice acting and I really enjoy it, but I'm not the kind of arrogant fop that would take all of the best roles for himself. We, uh, our main kobolds are voiced by Michael Kovac, who I met working on Has Been Hotel. Joanna Christina, who actually helped us with our, our pitch for Clutch a Kobold Story when we were first developing the idea. And LRBJ, who will be playing Book the Booker. 
Joanna Christina playing Nom the Healther if I hadn't said that. Right now we, we have the three main kobolds. Once we get the Kickstarter off of the ground, we'll be doing a casting call once we have everything all figured out of what we're going to be doing. See, what I like about do-it-yourself mentality of this, it's like you, I have a lot of people that are, you know, like it'll be actors or musicians or whatever, self-generating thing of, okay, I do a lot of audio stuff, so I'm going to make my own show. I'm going to write it. I'm going to produce it. I'm going to direct it. And then that way, I think by putting that out in the world, it's probably going to bring more focus on you, more work to everybody involved. As something is like, a, just as a creator in general, it does seem like a brilliant idea if you're going to be, if you're, if you're working within the audioscape as an audio designer and mixer and all of that stuff, then, and voice actor, that you should be doing this. I have always been a storyteller at heart. It has always been a great passion of mine, ever since I was like a young kid. But when I got to finishing college and I did a lot of work doing freelance and I got to a point where I didn't feel like I was able to make enough money to survive on my own. And I was getting a little frustrated working with other teams where either they, they were really talented but didn't have a lot of money to work for or had the money to pay for it but really didn't know what they were doing. So eventually I said, you know what, I'm going to try making my own thing. And I tried sound designing my own story that I wrote, directed, and came up with, and that's what Megas Elgar was. And we ended up getting nominated for Best Original Work, Best Sound Design, Best Writing, uh, Best Supporting Actor. We got a Telly Award for one of our promotional ads that we made for that series. In my attempts to try and pitch it as an animated series to Cartoon Network and Nelvana, I ended up finding myself in the wheelhouse of a couple of animation teams who really liked my sound design work and asked me to work on their projects. That's actually how I got on Hasbun Hotel, which as of as of my current memory is has like about 70 million views right now. And it is a phenomenal show if you ever if you haven't gotten the chance to see that. But now my, my heart's always been near audio dramas and I love being able to make audio dramas because I can make an entire season of a show without having to focus on the visual component and have to pay a lot more money for something that is ultimately requires a lot more budget for like special effects and other things like that. So this is kind of like a, hey, if you liked this as an audio drama, maybe you'll like this as a cartoon kind of thing. <laughs> for those of you out there who are not familiar with it, Tele Awards are specifically for broadcast channels. It's like all the broadcasters send their shows, their promos, all the little pieces that make up a network are sent to this. And the awards you get are from that is what the networks then turn around and show to the advertisers. Look, we won this Tele Award within this category. You should buy ad space on our show. So it's actually considered a very good award to get. And I just think it's one of those things where it's like somebody outside of the industry would not really know what it is. And Megas Elgar, if like you haven't heard of the show, you can watch it completely for free online right now. It's available wherever audiobooks are sold, wherever pods are cast. If you go to MegasElgar.com, you can watch an 11-episode series. It's about five and a half hours of delightful fantasy comedy goodness. This all kind of leads into origin story. My story began when I was a young child of about four years old. My mother had come to me while I was watching Nickelodeon on the television, and she had said, Child, what do you wish to fulfill as a purpose on this planet? In that exact baritone voice. And I responded in the same voice, Mother, I wish to do what is currently playing on the television. 
She turned around and blinked for a moment and looked back and said, My child, I think you might want to reconsider because that is a taxi driver. Because I was watching Kermit the Frog trying to be a t taxi driver on Muppet Babies. So I waited for a minute and I pointed again and it was Nickelodeon. I said, I would like to make those. Cartoons, my mother was assuming. But in general, I wanted to be a storyteller. So I, I spent much of my life learning how to be a storyteller. I would write a scripts for, for theatrical plays at my elementary school. I actually used to record video when I was sailing around the world with my parents on a sailboat, which I lived on for 12 years with my sister. I eventually went to a television production in high school where I was ridiculed and bullied mercilessly for, and eventually college where I was bullied slightly less, discovered that I had a knack for sound design. I rearranged my, my emphasis while I was at Chapman University uh, getting my master's degree and learned how to be a Foley artist. I learned how to make my own productions under the brilliant tutelage of Casey Wayland, Roy Finch, and Dan Pavlin, as well as learned how to deal with post-production by Paul Cedar. And I started working on my own as a freelancer for a long time. That did not go great because I ran into a lot of people who were very passionate about their work but didn't really know what they were doing. And I struggled for a little bit until I decided to make my own show. Mega Selgar was something that I had developed after spending a lot of time reading a lot of Terry Pratchett books, specifically the Discworld series. A combination of my own experiences taking part as a dungeon master in tabletop role-playing games. I actually use those as a means to kind of develop voices and characters and eventually build up what it is that I want to do. If you go to MegasElgar.com, you can see uh, episodes of the series. There's about 11 of them. Uh, you can also get little factoids about the cast and the crew, as well as extras, like pictures of every single episode made by our phenomenal artist. Animated shorts of uh, two little bits that we used to try and promote our show to uh, networks like Cartoon Network and Nelvana and CBS and a couple of others. We also have like lovely trailers that explain concepts about our world because uh, the way that we do magic in our setting is a little bit different than the typical Harry Potter kind of thing. In fact, we actually have three different types of magic casters in our world, uh, sorcerers, wizards, and magi, which all have different methods on how they do their casting. Clutch a Kobold story takes place place in the same universe as uh, Magus Elgar, namely the Planetane of Hearth. Uh, we call it a Planetane because it is, in fact, banana-shaped and spins like a boomerang through the world. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of my time when I was out at sea entertaining my parents by sitting on the front of the cockpit and talking about and making up advertisements and showcasing all sorts of silly things and just, just improv -ing. And it was much to my parents' uh, entertainment and they, they really enjoyed themselves and it helped stave off the insanity of crippling loneliness, you know, being in close proximity to your children. Uh, my, my sister and I like took a lot of joy entertaining them. And when we got home, that instinct never left me. So I would take my, my video camera and make really bad live action shorts about my dog or a commercial about Slurpees or anything that would really come to mind. I, I would actually edit them like on an old VHS tape. So nowadays I, I make audio dramas with all the professional equipment as opposed to the one track editing program that I had growing up. 
The nice thing about that one was is that I had to be very specific on me making each of my cuts in that because if I ever made a mistake, I'd have to start over. Your family was on a sailboat for 12 years. Correct. Drug dealers, criminals, trying nurses. to escape the... Nurses? Oh, like traveling nurses. nurses? No, they, they were nurses that worked at a hospital and did home health uh, nursing in Florida. But it was always my parents' dream to one day travel the world. And they had saved up enough money to finally do it. We are, we lived on a boat, so we could pretty much take up everything we owned and just go. Wait, you lived on a boat before yes. doing this trip. And what kind of boat was it? It was a 50-foot Gulf Star. It was a sailing vessel designed to house four people. You're a sailor now? Not as much as I used to be. When I moved to California, I could not take the boat with me. My parents are still sailors, and I still go sailing with them every now and again when I get the opportunity to. But I don't fit on boats as well as I used to, because I'm like a six-foot-five behemoth. Give me three weird things that you saw sailing. Squids attacking boats. We did actually run into pirates once. It was more of a indirect affair, but it was something where some people that were traveling with us were getting attacked by pirates near in the Indian Ocean. They actually contacted us over the radio that like these people with guns were coming onto the ship and they didn't know what to do. So my father, being the quick thinker that he was, faked a conversation with an aircraft carrier. and says, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm talking to the uh, USS Missouri right now. They're going to be sending a helicopter over to you guys right away. Because of the way that shortwave radios work, you could actually be in a situation where you only hear one half of a conversation because they could be like twice the distance away from you. Because my father faked that conversation, the pirates ended up just bailing on, on their target and ended up leaving because they didn't want to risk dealing with like a U.S. military helicopter. They ended up thanking my, my father and there's a long pause before my mom looks at him and says, isn't the USS Missouri at the bottom of Pearl Harbor? And he goes, yeah. Did you see any kind of weird wildlife thing? Yeah, I mean, we've seen, we saw tons of things. Like when we were in the Red Sea, there were two instances that happened, like one after the other. The first was we ended up discovering phosphorescent phytoplankton, which actually made the ocean light up in the same way that the stars did. So for a brief moment, it felt like you were sailing through space. There's no lights or anything like that, aside from like the only like the, the dingy nine volt bulb you had illuminating the cockpit or whatever brief lights you saw on the horizon from other boats. But the phosphorescent plankton would like light up in the middle of the night, just kind of like fluoresce and then go quiet, fluoresce and then go quiet. And the other one that was a little bit less spellbinding and a little bit more worrying was we actually sailed through a coral reef spawning period where all of the coral reefs eject their reproductive materials and it turns the entire ocean a milky white. So it almost seems like you're sailing through milk or snow. Semen sailing through semen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I couldn't help it. My childhood self had to do that. One of the most fascinating places in the world that I would say was the time we got to go to the Galapagos. The vegetation and the wildlife there is so much more vibrant than anywhere else on the planet. There is this vibrance to the greenery and the grass there and the not to mention like the wildlife is so accustomed to just people like hanging around or walking nearby that they're not like really threatened by you or they don't try to like bail or anything. Like the sea lions especially, where they would just kind of like nap next to you or 
even play with you if you're like in the water. I feel like that my journey going around the world allowed me to be inspired to try and share experiences with other people. I kind of made my own journey as a storyteller, whereas my sister, bless her heart, decided to go into environmental science and is now a soil scientist over in Hawaii. So you were being homeschooled on the boat? Yeah, for about a year and a half. And fun thing about that, I actually got to learn about all these different cultures while I was visiting these areas. Like I learned about ancient Egyptian mythology while I was in Egypt. It's also, it seems like this weird arc. It's like isolation on a boat, pandemic, isolation, your job in this room. Oh gosh. Like honestly, the isolation thing, I be I had so much practice being alone on the boat that I learned to take a lot of value in my in my solitude. But also I wasn't completely alone. I got to spend a lot of time with my parents. Like I know that that seems like something that most families would dread, but I actually have a really strong relationship with both of my parents. I played chess with my dad every day for the entire trip. I played Star Wars Beanie Babies with my sister for, for a while. When we, we had like one of those like little, like those little pound puppy things. We actually had like these little, three little kittens from the pound puppy collection. One of them fell overboard once and we, we held a funeral for that cat. <laughs> Much to the bafflement of my father. I think that would be like a great way to like connect with the family. I mean, I spend a lot of time with my daughter and want to do that as much as I can until she decides as a teenager I'm the Antichrist, which so I can understand that. It's not something you could force, I can tell you that much. My parents had, bless their hearts, they actually asked us for permission to do this round the world trip because they said, we, we wanted to do this and we want to invite you along with us. If you say no, we'll find a place for you to stay and, you know, continue school and you get to still spend time with your friends. How old were you th during this? I was eight years old. I was really young, but my parents, they always treated my sister and I like adults. Like they always treated us like we knew what was going on at any given point. They, they never sugarcoated that kind of thing. Tell me about the bullying. When I came back from around the world, I went to an elementary school that was Montessori and they were like really excited about the things that I did. When I graduated from that and went to middle school, things got really different. Namely that a lot of the ideas and things that I would like to share, I would end up oversharing. And a lot of the people that were in my class didn't really like it. They, they weren't really, they, they thought it was weird. They thought it was strange. It didn't help that I was a sixth grader coming into a school where everybody had known each other since preschool. So I was already an outsider among outsiders. And, you know, I, I got the usual like treatment of like kids that were, that had like a, a story to share, but like didn't really get along with a lot of the kids that were more present there and it did put me in a dark place for a short while but i like to think that it did help me come to terms with like the animosity that usually comes with just trying to be yourself because every everybody tells you oh just be yourself it's fine a lot of people don't like you being yourself not when you're like in middle school or anything they want what's considered acceptable by the time i got to high school i kind of just realized that trying so hard to be what they wanted me to be just was pointless. I just ended up getting treated the same way anyway. So I, I may have overcompensated, ended up being just the weird kid in high school, just really leaning into my hobbies, leaning into the, the strangeness of the things that I enjoyed. I, I leaned heavily into making poetry, into doing television production. And I had a bit of a breakthrough moment during that time where one of the guys that I would, I never would have imagined being friends with at the time, 
ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. He was the kind of guy that would slack off in school, didn't really care, always had like some new girlfriend at some point or another. And he was definitely like one of the cool kids that hung out with just the cool kids. And we were in drama class together. There was a possibility that he was not going to pass in that class. And if he didn't pass in that class, he probably wouldn't have been able to get through the school year. We got paired off in a class together. They said, all right, we want you to like redo a theatrical performance of your choice, however you want to do it. He comes up to me and says, all right, so how do you want to do this? And I go, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be in front of a camera and you're going to act out everything and I'm going to do everything else. Really? I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. And we end up doing a absolutely horrific modern reinterpretation of Romeo and Juliet because I really take the piss out of that kind of story in particular. Edited it all and pieced it all together and we ended up getting an A and that guy had, had always said, no matter what happens, this dude's cool. I was hoping he became like a famous actor. He turned out to be Tom Cruise. Went into like, I think like he's like a real estate agent now or something. Yes, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Do's and don'ts with Kennedy. But for sound design, not cosplay. I don't know how to dress up, so don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> don't pay attention to the graphics. These are what Iggy provided me. No <laughs> cosplay in this episode. Don't worry. Okay, well, one thing that I would tell you to do is be bold. Don't be afraid to contact other people and ask them in the, the audio drama field about what they do and how they do things. Because if there is one thing that is incredibly validating is hearing somebody talk to you about what you do and what your craft is. Like, even just, like, little questions. Like, hey, I'm, I'm working on a script and I could use some advice. But, of course, don't be pushy. You are not entitled to their attention. If they don't contact you, that's fine. No hard feelings. It's, it's nothing personal. They're probably doing something incredibly important, like making the next big, sh big show or shaving a cat or something. I don't know. It could be important. You're not sure. Do contact them. Don't expect a response right away. There's going to be people like me who will talk with anybody but other people, they'll probably be a little bit more reserved or a little bit more quiet. And don't take it personally if they end up doing that kind of thing. In terms of don'ts in, in the field, if you're going to make an audio show, don't just use your phone. Like, don't just use like a little, like record, like a laptop microphone or something like that. Try to get something a little bit nicer. And the nice thing is, is that microphones go for really cheap nowadays. You can get a pretty decent quality one for like 50 bucks. Say that if you're going to be talking to people in the field, there's a lot of times where I was afraid that the things that I made weren't going to be original in any case. I really thought that Magus Elgar was criminally derivative. Oh, wow, this is just a direct ripoff of something else. But it turned out that if I took the things that I really liked and then exaggerated them or, or brought them to a different extreme or just tried to have fun with the, the the expectations it ended up being something that other people found really entertaining case in point an animated series the owl house if you if you look at it it has a lot in common with another series almost very much like it uh, little witch academia which was them making an interpretation of harry potter something that i would say that you should do is every idea that you have there is a little glint of magic in it, something that is personal and is yours. Hold on to it. You never know if it's something that you might want to develop into something greater. And I'm not going to tell you that it's going to work out. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be like this. Um, it's going to be this amazing, groundbreaking 
reality-shifting experience. But it might be. It could be. It's What matters is that it's yours and that you made it. And there's something intrinsically special about that. I was in a position before Mega Elgar where I actually thought about giving it up, about just not doing this anymore, going and finding a day job, doing something where I can pay for my house more reliably. And that that's not something that you would imagine someone would aspire to of like, man, job security. But sometimes grass is greener in, in some respects, but I took a chance and that chance ended up pulling through. I mean, it wasn't like a complete 100% success. Like there's, I'm, I'm still generally unknown. I'm still very quietly in the background in the grand scheme of things, but I made something that was mine and other people liked it. That's the absolute minimum I could ever ask for for something that I made. And the same could be said for you. You might have something in your life that is, is very special, but you're afraid to share it. Maybe your, your family mocked you or something, or maybe your friends don't entirely understand it, but there are people out there that will, that do. And the only way that you're going to be able to discover that, discover the magic that other people have that resonate with your own magic is to share it. And of course, get some constructive feedback when the time comes around. So the number one do that I would say is share your magic. Which now brings up the big reveal, the Kickstarter. Shall we get into that? Clutch a Cobalt Story is a... It is a mini-series that takes place in the same universe as Magus Elgar, but many years in the past during the Age of Dragons. It's about three kobolds who go on an adventure to find a new dragon master after accidentally killing their old one. A kobold is about three feet tall. They're not very smart. They're, they have short attention spans, and they're a little dopey. Uh, you might know them if you play tabletop adventures or tabletop RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons as the incredibly low-level enemies that you end up fighting in your first dungeon. Having a journey where these incredibly fragile kobolds are trying to make a name for themselves seemed like a really fun thing to try out. I've been writing these characters for a couple of months now, and they are... Lots of fun. There's Strap the Trap Maker, who wants to create uh, the legendary Seven Chain Special to present to his master, Gaujinvor the Crimson. There's Nam the Helther, who really only knows how to drink healing potions because she's under the impression that if she drinks enough of them, she'll live forever. Book the Booker, who is a scribe that really just wants to share with you his favorite books. If you end up in a room with him and he starts doing that, be prepared to be there for a while because his favorite books are all of them. To summarize this, this is basically a story about underdogs that you would find as characters in Dungeons and Dragons. Usually the, the low level kill in one hit kind of enemy. And this is a Kickstarter campaign that you can find. That, that is correct. We're only planning on six episodes right now. You might notice that the price that we're asking for is a little bit higher than some productions. And that's because we're going to be recording a lot of this in studio instead of like remotely or from our houses or anything like that. And we're going to be having the same kind of production value that I would have for Magus Elgar. Uh, Magus Elgar, I actually paid out of pocket to, to present. And that was a pretty, pretty hefty budget because I wanted to pay everybody the kind of thing that I would ask for. So everybody on this project would be getting paid like a proper studio rate. I don't think you have to even pitch it like that. Look, if this is a quality show, $18,000 for a goal is not that much, people. So if you're pitching in and you want to help the creative, go to this site, 
pick a little thing you want off of it, I definitely recommend going to check it out. But let's go see what some of these support items are. Let's see. Well, for $5, you'll be giving a, sh a shiny, which uh, we'll be giving you like a, a thank you card made by our artist. The For $15, you'll be getting uh, early access to the show as well as PDFs of our kobolds in if Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. So you can actually play as your own kobold if you want to. You'll also be getting a free month subscription to the Fantasy Network, which is a premier subscription service to experience all types of like RPG adventure movies and stuff like The Gamers, Dark Dungeons, and a couple of other great, phenomenally well-made movies. As a kobold scavenger, you'll be able to get a digital copy of our soundtrack, early access to the show. Your name in the credits as well as as a cobalt scavenger $35 you'll be getting all the digital rewards and a a couple of recordings made by the cobalts to voicemail message or a private message or something special that you could have or even like a text note if you want to made done by our cobalts one for $50 you'll get a custom USB drive with all of the rewards and extra content like bloopers and behind the scenes vignettes. For $100, you'll get the opportunity to take part in a live sound design lesson with me and learn how to make your own audio dramas and your own shows, or at least learn how to make cool sound effects for your YouTube or whatever it is that you work on. People out there, that's a pretty good deal for a hundred bucks. It's like private instruction, right? I'll be doing that as a class, but it'll be about three hours long. For $200 as a cobalt parent, now this is the really special one because there's a very limited amount of them. We only have 30 slots for the entire campaign. You could have yourself drawn as your very own cobalt in the in our clan. Clan Fine, you're a clan now, let me sleep, or Clan Fine for short. Not only that, you'll also get to take part in a voice acted session as a Walla session where you get to play as a cobalt in our show. Our really high backing positions uh, for $800 as a Cobalt hero, you'll get to not only be a small role in Clutch a Cobalt story as a spoken role, but you'll also get to participate as a player RPG led by me with the players as the Cobalts. If you want to add to your um, CV under voice talent, add 800 bucks to this project. There you go. Now you have on your CV, you'll have like a bit part in there. So that's there's value to that. You'll also get a work print script of your choice signed by the Cobalts because we'll be doing a lot of these performances like in studio together. So they'll actually have hard copies of like marking up scripts and making adjustments as they go. You can become a dragon for $2,500 and we will give you a two to three minute advertisement in the show about whatever it is that you want. You'll also get an executive producer credit, honorary links and logos to work to your company or website or whatever it is you do. And again, we will make a completely original script done by our kobolds about your show. If you go to kickstarter.com slash projects slash mega serling slash clutch kobolds, uh, you could also go to YouTube and look up Clutch Cobalt, and you'll probably find it as one of our first things to back us on Kickstarter. So be a kobold friend and sign up with us today. But what's good about Kickstarter, and I think a lot of people fail to get, is that it's really pre-promotion for something that doesn't exist yet. So as much as it is to raise money for the actual project that you're doing, it also raises awareness and gets fans and people who were dedicated not just to the project, but like financially invested in it, which is a big difference 
for like a fan base of something before it's even come out. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter predominantly as Magus Serling. That's M-A-G-U-S-S-E-R-L-I-N-G. Aside from that, you can uh, go to my website at kennedyphillips.org. That's Kennedy like the president, Phillips like the screwdriver.org. And you can see this phenomenal reel of the kind of things that I normally do, which is mostly making myself look like an idiot. And if you need help with your own productions and stuff, I am, of course, freelance and I can help you with your audio dramas or whatever it is that you're working on. I just want to say thank you for joining the Infinite Spaghetti family. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Thank you for watching Infinite Spaghetti. If you like the show, please share, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Shows like this only exist with the constant support of its viewing audience. For great cosplay content and amazing podcasts, head over to projectnerd.com. That's project-nerd.com.